and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Mark Schindler is in the building. We're going to dive deep into NBA awards season. I do this show every year. I feel like I've done it probably for four or five years now. And I'm so excited to do this because this is the first time Schindler is going to get to join me in breaking down awards. Mark, from what I know about you, I feel like you are someone that is less enthusiastic about the award discussion about the award discourse about all of this uh it's an astute observation on your part (laughs) (laughs) my opinion is that these things are important i think that from a legacy perspective i think that from a historical perspective these things are incredibly valuable and incredibly important in regard to the way that people look back upon the league and they look back upon the way that things were for a generation i don't know that you necessarily care about that but no i care about that for sure i think um exactly like you mentioned it's just tough because i get like this mvp debate has been one of the more infuriating things (laughs) in my lifetime that doesn't actually matter um like it matters exactly like you're saying but i think to the extent that it's getting drawn out to i just could not give less of a damn um, I'm just very ready for it to be announced so that I don't have to hear about it anymore. And I'm ready to see the, basketball get played. Like, let's... The, Yeah. The thing that frustrates me with it is that it's become like us against them. It's become yeah. you know, this player's team versus that player's team and everyone trying to like get in on this. It's like, look, all of Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo are unbelievable players. They're absolutely incredible. I would prefer to focus on that part of it. I would prefer to focus on the fact that these guys – all absolutely rule shit and they destroy basketball night after night after night. They break my brain consistently every single time that I watch them play basketball. Jokic for his processing ability and the way he sees the court. Giannis for just being the biggest bully on the court and in the yard and being able to get wherever he wants, whenever he wants at all times. Joel Embiid for being this incredible mix of skill and power and grace despite being seven foot two 280 pounds probably it's these guys are all great and i feel like we often diminish that factor within this mvp discussion and that part of it is a bummer to me yeah no i concur exactly i think it's just frustrating because like dude it and i think it's something that i used to be really bad at in maybe losing sight of how awesome these dudes are like it's so easy to like pick apart the minutia and get lost in the weeds of that instead of recognizing like, hey, Joel Embiid's averaging thirty three and ten, and he's been yeah. awesome. Like, it, <laughs> and I know, like, I, I don't know. I'm sure some people scoff at that, and that's probably what I would have done two or three years ago. But at the same point, I just it's really easy to forget how incredible some of this stuff is. Like when you project out and look at like I, I was talking about this with somebody the other day and looking at what this last season was of. Uh, South Carolina on the women's side and even thinking about UConn on the men's side, like UConn on the men's side won every single tournament game by double digits. That doesn't happen often. Like, yeah, I think when you try and it's the kind of thing that I think we maybe don't appreciate now that when we look at in five or 10 years and you look backwards, like, Oh wow, that was like, that's something that was pretty special. Um, so I'm trying to get better at quantifying that stuff in the moment and just being happy about that. Cause it's a, uh, it's easy to lose sight of that. And I, you know what? Life is way too short to do that. Yeah, I'm glad that you kind of put it that way. I mean, we're in the midst of like an offensive explosion within basketball 
right now. And, you know, certainly Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, you know, Stephen Curry are at the center of that, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. Luka for the heliocentrism, Jokic for the anti-heliocentrism in many ways, uh, Stephen Curry for the incredible volume of three-pointers. And then you have Giannis, who is like this old school throwback who almost reminds me more of like Shaq. And then you have Joel Embiid, who's uh, almost like this Akeem Olajuwon-like mix of the modern and the old school that is so incredibly fun. And I I just don't want to lose sight of how great all of this is. Like I genuinely, every time I watch the NBA, I'm just like, this league is in a better place than it's ever been from a basketball perspective. These dudes are so fucking good. These dudes are so fucking good at basketball. Now it, it it is crazy. It breaks my brain every single time I watch an NBA game and I'm so excited for the playoffs. I'm excited for the play-in to start tonight. I think it's going to be absolutely great. Uh, The good news for people is I'm going to be podcasting probably a little bit more often during the playoffs. Uh, be it just me, maybe I'll rope Mark in sometimes, maybe I'll rope Adam in sometimes, where at the end of night, I'm just going to go for like 30 or 40 minutes and talk about what happened that night. We're not going long. We're not going like this podcast probably be an hour and a half. We're certainly not doing that during the playoffs. But we're going to go more often, and there will be nights where we talk for an hour or something like that. And we really dive into the weeds and break down everything that happened. Uh, But the exciting thing about this is we're going to be on this show talking a little bit more often about basketball, especially once I get back to Australia, because currently I'm in Los Angeles and I'm here for another week, basically uh, trying to get some things done for the draft cycle, trying to get some things done uh, just in general. Also, my wife's sister, Grace, is getting married. Shout out to Grace. We're out here. Uh, Very excited for that. That'll happen on Saturday. But Let's jump in. I just want to do MVP. Let's just tear the Band-Aid off, right? Let's do it. Let's talk about this. Let's get it done. Okay. Rank five, Schindler, who are the guys you have in fifth and fourth? Uh, fifth for me is probably Jason Tatum right now. Um, just because, like, obviously, he's his uh, start to the year was so tremendous. Is obviously, I, I don't think falling off feels unfair I think, you know, you keep hearing like, oh, the Celtics have fallen off. But then you look at what they've done since the All-Star break and they've still been really tremendous. Obviously, just not the same like 20 and three stretch they had at the beginning of the year. But I would have JT fifth right now. Fourth for me, I, I've i kind of gone back and forth on on this one. I feel like there's just such a big drop off. Probably have Luca around here. Um, yeah. Like he's been really good. I don't think that he's been nearly as MVP worthy as I think it's quite gotten propped up to be. Um, but what he's done with his, as, as an individual in lifting that team to what they are right now has been pretty remarkable um, looking at it as a whole. I get it. I, I did not have Luca in my top five. I could not get there. And I think people will be surprised. I don't have Luca as a first team all NBA guy this year, the way the Mavs fell off at the end of the year. I just couldn't get there. Uh, yeah. I could not get there. Uh, all due respect to Luca, I, I think that he will be an all a first team All NBA guy for many years to come. I, I just couldn't quite get there this year in this mess of a season for the Mavericks, where everything fell apart so so poorly. My fifth place is a tie between Donovan Mitchell and Shea Gilgis Alexander, and 
just because I feel like the way that Mitchell has transformed the Cavs offensively has led to them really actually genuinely rising up the ranks of teams across the league. Not to say that Shea's leap has not led to Oklahoma City really spiking up the board here recently, but the Cavs won 51 games this year. Uh, they had the second best net rating in the entire NBA. They had a top 10 offensive rating in the entire NBA. That is a credit to first and foremost, in my opinion, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I think Donovan Mitchell has been absolutely spectacular this season. 28 points per game, 48 uh, field goal percentage, 39% from three, 87% from the line. He's gotten much better in terms of his efficiency at the basket, his sequencing, his steps, uh, his footwork. It's gotten drastically, drastically better. Uh, in terms of being able to create offense efficiently for himself. I also think that playing with Darius Garland, uh, just a little bit more explosive than Mike Conley was at this stage of his career in Utah, has really unlocked and unleashed a lot of what Mitchell can do. Uh, and I think Darius Garland was like someone I very strongly considered on the outskirts of the All-NBA conversation. I didn't quite get there with him, but I think Darius Garland has been absolutely tremendous this season and is worthy of very real high level discussion in that regard. I went with Mitchell at five, but it was like five, a five B with Shea Gilgis Alexander, who I think has been uh, absolutely phenomenal this season. His ability to just pressure the basket in such a substantial way uh, is uh, unlike anything right now in the NBA from the guard position. Uh, number four for me was Jason Tatum. Uh, this team won 57 games. They've been absolutely outstanding this season. You, you just kind of look at, the way this team operates, it, it so revolves around what Tatum can do offensively. Uh, you know, they have a lot of great floor spacers around the court. Malcolm Brogdon shot 44% from three. We'll talk about him later. Derek White shot 38% from three. Al Horford, 44% from three. Grant Williams, 40% from three. But it feels like their shot creation is so reliant upon what he and Jalen Brown can do. And I think that Jalen, frankly, like, I, I don't know if enough people like noticed it, it felt like his like efficiency kind of dropped off more than Tatum's did more than anything throughout the course of the season. And he had big moments and he had really important moments for the Celtics. But I think Tatum is the guy that makes everything go there. I had Tatum at number four. Yeah. I do want to say that one of the things that was really fun to watch about Jalen, not that, uh, he took some massive leap, um, but I do think he just got a little bit more comfortable as a as a playmaker, uh, as a downhill driver, specifically in March uh, when they really needed him to. Um, that's been fun to watch. Uh, again, not that I think he's ready to be a, a primary usage type player, but seeing him take on more of that role was cool. I know obviously not, not considering him MVP, we're just going off that. Yeah. No, of course. We'll talk about him probably during the All-NBA discussion in some regard at least. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you want to go one to three or do you want to go three to one for MVP? Uh, let's go three to one. Um, okay. So actually, sorry, I'm going to overrule you here. I kind of want to go one to three. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'm an asshole. I asked you the question and then ignored you. Um, that's my fault. The reason I want to go one to three is because I, I want to open this because I just want to take the brunt of all this that's going to happen here. Um, I picked Giannis Antetokounmpo for MVP. Who do you have for MVP, Mark? Uh, I picked you well as MVP. Okay. I went back and forth between Joel and Giannis up until 30 minutes before we started recording. Like, 
I dove into everything that I possibly could with these two. And ultimately what I kind of came down to with these two is a, I just want to say like in terms of minutes played, all of these guys are over 2000 minutes. All of them are within 300 minutes played of one another. They're all within the same ballpark in terms of games played. I'm good. Just personally considering these guys on the merits that won't necessarily be the case with all of the awards as we'll talk about with defensive player of the year in all likelihood, because I think there is a real gap in terms of minutes played there for one player. In this case, I was willing to go fully just on the merits of the dude that I think is the best. Mark, did you kind of operate in a similar way? Yeah. Um, I wound up, well, like, like, like you just mentioned, I had, um, I had Joel first, I had Giannis second and I jostled with Giannis for one, but I think with how good Joel has been just since the start of the new year, pretty much, yeah. um, which is weird to say new year now, four months in, which is crazy to me. But um, I just think Joel has been the best player in the NBA over the last 40 games while having been, you know, top two for the first 40. So obviously he's missed some of that too, but then looking into it, I, I just, He's played a little bit more. That doesn't matter for me. It's a three-game difference. Um, I just thought in terms of looking at heavy lifting and how important he's been for for what the Sixers have done. Well, also, like, I don't think that leading the league in scoring matters too much to me, but it's still a factor in it. So, uh, and then looking at it, too, I think our friend Nikias Duncan brought up a really great point on the dunker spot in talking about uh, how Joel actually has, like, a, re- a really good case for clutch player of the year. Um, yeah, with what he does I agree with this. And there's one thing yeah. I just want to frame. I feel like, and this is not me sh- sh- going against any of my friends or anybody who thinks this way, but I think clutch play really does matter to me. Um, yeah. I get that it can be wonky, especially if you're looking just at shooting splits, but it's what happened. Like, I, I'm not trying to just negate things, but I don't love just chalking everything up to, well, you know, this could just be such a big thing on shooting variance. I'm like, well, I don't care. It's what happened. So I'm going to use it <laughs> as an example that I care about. Joel has been incredible in, in crunch time on both ends of the ball. Like, the way that he just absolutely takes over games defensively in final minutes has been unreal. I mean, his he's obviously always been pretty much since he's been in the NBA and a, a near-dominant scorer, but the – him, him at the elbow this year off the catch has just been practically unguardable. And um, so for me, when I look back on this season and so much of it's going to be remembering Joel for what he did on, on national TV and moments against other MVPs and just on a nightly basis, he's my MVP. Yeah, I think that's a completely reasonable case. I think that's an entirely reasonable case where honestly, again, like I'm basically there. Uh, it's just the, I went with Giannis and here is kind of my breakdown on how I went through MVP. So Giannis has the best winning percentage play for the best team this year. He has the best winning percentage of any of these guys when they're on the court, and when they play right. Joel averaged the most points per possession played, uh, Joel's team, uh, thing that's been a talking point is Joel's team had a higher winning percentage when he didn't play versus like when he didn't play right or versus when he did play I don't really care about that in this conversation I think that's really silly if you look at the team's schedule like there's a couple of late game late 
season games against Brooklyn. There's a lot of like Charlotte, Orlando, things like that. Uh, you would expect the team with like James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris to beat some of the teams that, you know, they sat Joel against in all likelihood strategically in order to conserve him while still being able to get minutes uh, and still being able to rack wins. So I can't personally hold that against Joel in this conversation. What I will say is this Joel led the league in scoring. I went through and calculated essentially points created per game via like point and assist, right? This season, Nikola Jokic averaged 24 and a half points via his own scoring, 24 points via assist. Giannis 30 or 25 and a half. I think it was Giannis 31.1 points per game via his own scoring 15.1 via assists. Joel 33.1 via his own scoring 11 or I think it was 10.8 via his assists. So if you look at points created per game, Jokic leads uh, these three guys at 49. Giannis is at 46.2 and bead 43.9. Now, I actually calculated it per 100 possessions. And uh, you do this essentially by calculating the amount of points that each player derives per assist, then doing... Uh, you know, assists per 100 possessions, right? So it's an estimate, but it's essentially going to be right. This season, per 100 possessions, Jokic derived 69.4 points per points and assist. Giannis, 66.4. Embiid, 62.3. So Embiid is actually like from a volume perspective in terms of deriving offense, the least voluminous, let's say, in terms of this. So now comes the efficiency factor. Jokic's efficiency is like off the charts, right? Like, let's just be clear about that. And I think there's real value that goes beyond the stat sheet in terms of the unselfishness that he plays with. Joel, I think, has a really great situation offensively around him. Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, two-man game with James Harden, everything like that. Giannis is the least efficient of these guys this season. He has something like a 60.5 true shooting percentage. I think that there is a reason for that. First and foremost, free throws. Like, he should make his free throws. I think he's shooting like 64% from the line this year. The second reason, though, is that he played a lot of the early season – up until like the midway point without Chris Middleton and partially without, you know, Drew Holiday at times as well throughout the season. And when those two are off the court, Giannis is like relied upon for everything. And teams not just like double Giannis, they throw the kitchen sink at this dude to try and slow him down. And they hack the shit out of him. They foul him. They try and make it so points are harder. And in Giannis's case, it's a real demerit to him, in my opinion, that he doesn't make his free throws in those circumstances. Giannis should Giannis would win this award going away if he was an 80% free throw shooter. I don't even think it would be all that close, to be honest. Because you look at the numbers that he would put up, it'd be like three extra points per game or two extra points per game. It'd be, he'd be like essentially 
equal or above Joel in scoring. He'd be better than Joel assists. He'd be better in rebounding. He'd be better as a defender. Like you'd look at it across the board and you'd be like, okay, like this is not even a conversation. It's a genuine demerit for Giannis that he is not a good free throw shooter and thus puts himself in these disadvantageous situations at the foul line by teams hacking him. I do think though that the lack of shot creation around Giannis for a large swath of the season led to that inefficiency, led to that uh, difficulty for him in terms of turnovers at times where guys just like dig down onto him. Like he's getting triple teamed a lot of the time. It feels like even more often than someone like Joel is, and especially more often than someone like Jokic is where, and, and again, Jokic is so good that you can't double him. Like that is part of his game. He is such an elite passer and processor of the game that, you actually can't. If you double him, it's over. He'll find the open man, period. I think that's a credit to Jokic that you can't double him. I struggle just in terms of the fact that I think Giannis is probably five points per game better defensively. I do. I think Giannis is five or six points per game better defensively than Jokic. And that makes up for the efficiency gap. It makes up for the volume gap in terms of the amount of points they're creating. And I, I just have to have Giannis ahead of Jokic. And then you look at Giannis versus Embiid. To me, the efficiency, there's a gap, but I think the gap is smaller than people think given the situation around them. Giannis derives more points off of passing and his own scoring than Joel Embiid does. And in my opinion, Giannis is a better defender than Joel is. So putting all of that together w- with all of this, I had to go with Giannis. The other part of this for me is very simple. Who do I think is the best player in the league? (laughs) Like, if I made you say, who do you think is the best player in the NBA right now, Mark? Who would you say? I would say it's been Joel, which is why I go MVP. But I think think it's it's been between him and Giannis over the last month and a half, two months. And I think that's great. Like, if you want to make that case for Joel, I think that's awesome. And I think it's completely reasonable. And I think that there is like a real rational, cogent argument to make there. I think it's Giannis. Uh, I think Giannis is the best two-way force in the league. I think he is the best uh, force at creating offense uh, outside of passing. Like, look, all told, uh, that's a bad way to phrase it, I guess. He's not the best. You know, Jokic is the best offensive force in the league. I think Giannis is the best two-way force in the league, is what I would say. And I think mm-hmm. we've seen it for the last, like, three years, you know, five years even, really, that Giannis has been the best player in the league. Two MVPs, NBA title. Again, I would have voted for him for MVP last year. I had this conversation with Matt Moore last year on the show. You can go back and listen. I said I would have voted for Giannis. He was the best player in the league, in my opinion, last year. He's the best player in the league this year. And... You look at their team record. You look at their record when he's on the court. I, I just kind of have to do it. I, I have to go with Giannis at MVP. Yeah, I can't debate that. I think that I'm I'm totally reasonable with that. Um, the only thing I'd add is for me, I just Jokic kind of removed himself from this equation with how Denver's played over the last month. Um, without not that he's been bad, like obviously we're talking relatively. I'm sure somebody's going to say that I'm talking out of my ass. That's fine. Um, I just don't think that he's played to the same standard that he did last year. Um, I think the defense has been particularly abysmal and difficult to watch. 
Um, and that matters. Like I, I can't overlook that when we're looking at this right now. Um, if the scoring volume was the same as it was last year, I think I'd be willing to look at it a little bit differently, but it's not even that he's that different from last year. It's just, it's not the same. And I don't think it's the same as what Joel and Giannis are doing. So I'm third. Yeah. So with Jokic, I pulled some defensive numbers, obviously. I mean, Denver this year, they're 15th in defense overall, right? If you look at their defense against top 10 offenses per cleaning the glass, they're 21st. Uh, Milwaukee's the best against top 10 offenses. Philly's 11th. Uh, Denver also is the 18th defense or is uh, 18th in defense versus the top 20 teams in the NBA in terms of point differential. I don't know how I pulled that number. Um, I'm sorry for however I found it. Um, Overall, Denver is 31 and 22 this year versus top 20 teams in the NBA. Milwaukee this year is 35 and 19. Philadelphia is 32 and 20. So Denver this year against top 20 teams in the league. So I did top 20 because a cleaning the glass has uh top 10, middle 10, bottom 10. So I basically just like filtered out the bottom 10 teams in the league. Uh, but also that lines up perfectly with the amount of teams that make the play in, in the playoffs. Uh, so basically against play in or playoff teams, it's not exact because point differential is a little bit different there. Uh, Denver has the worst record of these three teams, despite the fact that, like, I think they have a great supporting cast that particularly accentuates what Nikola Jokic does. Uh, Jamal Murray is an incredible scorer. Michael Porter Jr. is arguably arguably the best spot-up threat in the league. Uh, Aaron Gordon accentuates every single skill that Nikola Jokic doesn't have by being great at those things. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope was a great defensive addition for this group that I think was necessary. Bruce Brown, you know, had a great first half of the season at the very least and, and really was quite strong throughout the year. Ultimately, I think that Embiid is like a significant force of their issues defensively this season. Uh, his, uh, and look, I actually think part of this is like Mike Malone, Michael Malone continuing to play drop coverage later in the season for reasons that like kind of went beyond my comprehension. I think kind of hung Jokic out to dry a little bit. He's not really great in drop coverage. I would imagine that again, it was probably a situation where they're trying to conserve Jokic's energy, but it re- the result is what matters here. And the result was that Jokic was pretty poor defensively through the final third of the season. And it becomes really tricky to kind of parse through all of that context in my opinion. But for me, Jokic was clearly third. And then it was a toss up between Embiid and Giannis. I I went with Giannis for reasons that I explained. Um, and you went with Joel for reasons you explained. And I think either vote is completely reasonable. Like if you want to vote for either of those guys, I am a hundred percent for it. Like I, 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 you will not hear me argue. You will not hear me complain. You will not hear you will not hear a word out of me if you want to vote for either of those two. I, I mean, like I have a person in the YouTube comments saying that Jokic plays with worse teammates. I, I think I, you know, personally would disagree, especially given how much time Chris Middleton missed this year. Uh, like Chris Middleton was not valuable this year up until the final. I don't know, Mark. What would you say? Twenty games realistically like right around there and also too this is not me just trying to dunk on you in the comments but net rating is not an individual stat and i think that's more indicative of how bad denver's bench has been than 
how I mean, as part of it is saying how awesome Jokic has been, but their bench has just gotten torched all year. So when he's off, it's going to look a lot worse. Um, and again, I'm not trying to just cape for others. I think it's fine to vote for Jokic. I've gotten a less, a lot less more open to Jokic as the MVP winner um, over the last month. Uh, but yeah. And I, I mean, I'm with you. I wouldn't agree that his teammates are worse. Yeah, no. Given, I think in a vacuum, or like if all teams are equal, uh, on equal footing and equal pegging, then you could certainly make a case that uh, when Milwaukee has Middleton, that Milwaukee has like the best core four in the NBA, right? But Contavious Caldwell Pope played six or seventy six games this year. Aaron- Gordon played 68, Michael Porter 62, Bruce Brown 80, uh, Jamal Murray 65 around him. And then you look at Milwaukee, uh, you know, Chris Middleton again, I think Middleton probably played like, you know, what, 33 games and those first 10 were pretty rough. Uh, Brooke Lopez played 78, Drew Holiday played 67, uh, Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis are the next guys here, right? Like, I, I don't really think you can make a case that you know, that the Milwaukee supporting cast this year in totality in terms of who all played is better than the Denver supporting cast. Uh, All due respect to Milwaukee, again, once Middleton is there, I think they are, they take a real step above that. But yeah, I mean, look, like Jamal Murray's an all-star. I think Aaron Gordon was like the 13th man on the all-star team this year. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. again is like unbelievable. Contavious Caldwell Pope is awesome. Uh, it's the depth of starting crew that plays with Jokic for the majority of the minutes that really gives him, I think, the edge in this conversation. It'd be a different conversation if Chris Middleton played more than 20 games at full health this year. But yeah. I think the reality is that. Um, okay. One, Giannis. Two, Joel. Three, Jokic four Tatum five Donovan Mitchell for me Mark I'm trying to remember how I even had it uh because I never written down yeah obviously yeah Joel Giannis Jokic uh Tatum Tatum Jesus and then you, Luka. you had Luca for or it was Luca Luca and then Tatum okay do you want to go to All NBA next, or do you want to do Defensive Player of the Year next? Yeah, I feel like All NBA ties right in, so let's just jump into it. Let's do All NBA next. We'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. All NBA. I really struggled with the guards on All NBA, man. Like, holy shit, this is fucking hard. Yeah. Like, I I have no idea what to do with the guards, if I'm being completely honest. I, I went with Donovan Mitchell and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I thought that – I do think that All-NBA is like a slightly different conversation than MVP when you're giving out a fifth vote for MVP in some mm-hmm. regard. But I did just decide, given that I've decided between those two, I went with Shea and I went with Donovan Mitchell. Ultimately, Luca fell off because of the way that they closed the season. Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh, I had Steph and Luca as my first team guards. Um Donovan and, and Shea are the, the two that I would have, you know, 
contemplated. Uh, but yeah, I think with Steph and I, I don't really care about the games played, to be honest. If you've played at least 50 games, cool. Like with how good Steph has been this year, um, I wasn't too perturbed by it. Like I get that some people are gonna be like, oh, we'll look at the minutes played and this and that. Like, That's fair. But for me, I just think Steph has been one of the five best players in the NBA when he's played. So he's on my top five. Get over it. Uh, Luca is also there. Uh, I actually, I don't mind at all swapping him with, with Donovan Rashi. I just think he's had a better individual season. So I have him there. Um, and I probably don't weigh the winning aspect as much when you're, when it, when it's the numbers that you're like a Luca or Jokic or, or Giannis putting up. And maybe that's the wrong way to do, but that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah. So I went with the guys that like really impacted like winning for their teams this year. I totally get it. Uh, ultimately, Steph fell to second team for me only because of games played. I agree with you. I yeah. think Steph was a top five player in the league. By the way, we're going to talk about like Damian Lillard later in this conversation. The only reason Damian Lillard, I think, like I very strongly consider Damian Lillard for first team all NBA. I, I really strongly considered those five guards realistically it was donovan mitchell shea luka Doncic, stephen curry damian lillard i slid down the guys that played 50 games at the end of the day uh in damian lillard and stephen curry i think steph was at 52 damian lillard was at 58 okay forwards uh i went Giannis, jason tatum and then i went joel at center i would imagine that you had the same we have the exact same group Okay, so we talked about those guys in MVP. I don't know that we need to talk about them a crazy amount again. Guards. I went Luca and Steph second team. Uh, should we just like take a quick minute and talk about Stephen Curry's season? Uh, it was absolutely insane. He averaged 29 points, six rebounds, six assists, 49% from the field, 43% from three, 92% from the line. Just missed that 50, 40, 90 threshold by a very teeny tiny amount. Uh, Incredible, incredible, incredible Stephen Curry season. Yeah, I mean, obviously the uh, the games played would detract it from being there, but I, I mean, this was just about the best season of his career. Um, and to have it, you know, at this stage of his career uh, was wildly impressive. And I think, again, it's going to be easy to look at the what the team performance has been and be like, well, and I just think that's the wrong way to look at it. So much of this is, they're this good because of how good Steph has been this year. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, they're this level because of how good Steph has been this year. I think it's a lot more about the rest of the roster and um, what that team has looked like uh, defensively and especially on the road. Um, I don't really attribute that to Steph. Like, I just think it, it's been a supreme year for him. Like, if he's played 60 games, we're talking about him as potential MVP. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's it, it's been an incredible year for him. Hey, remember when in 2016, Steph went 50, 45, 90 for 30 points in a season? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nuts. Like pre-offensive explosion, like in the way it is now, he basically forced the offensive explosion. That was, uh, that season I think is one of the great, like not totally sung seasons in the way it should be in like all of NBA history. That like completely broke my brain. But Steph was pretty close to that level this season and is well deserving of uh, accolades. L look, let, let's also talk about Luca very briefly. I think Luca had an absolutely tremendous season. He averaged 32, 8 and 8, shot, you know, 50% from the field, 
34% from three, 74% from the line. For me, it was the reason I knocked him down, just the way that they closed the season. I thought that the meshing between him and Kyrie is still developing in many ways. Uh, it did feel a little bit my turn, your turny at times, which you would expect for two guys that are high usage in that way. Ultimately, just the way that this team completely collapsed down the stretch, I just had to slide him down quite a bit at the end of the day. Yeah, no, that's fair. Okay, forwards. Now, this is where, okay, let's knock out center first. You have Nikola Jokic at center on the second team, right? Uh. Wait, yes. Yeah, I do have Nicole Jokic yes. on the second team. Uh, my other forwards, this is where it gets tricky for me because then you are talking about <laughs> games played. Um, and I don't, I personally don't want to focus on it too much. Um, but I had Kevin Durant on second team. And I get you're going to look and say he played 47 games. He was unreal this year. And I know, again, like I am not going to knock anybody. This is just where I would be at. I think he. I cannot look at this year and say that he hasn't had one of the five to 10 best seasons in the NBA. Um, I think there's a very real case that for me, outside of Giannis, the best player in the league this year was Kevin Durant. Like <laughs> when he look, played on the court. Exactly. Like what, what he was doing in Brooklyn uh, was unreal. Like I've, he's been solid. In, I mean, better than solid, obviously in, in Phoenix yeah. when he's played, but when he was doing it in Brooklyn before, before the injury was just, incredible stuff um like he was somebody who i think uh like when i look at all defense which i think is a lot of like i definitely weigh games played on all defense um because that's so much more about like just not that it's i'm sounding like i'm talking circles but point being like i think he's somebody who was a shoe in for all defense um would have probably made my ballot for all for for defensive player of the year because he'd been that good um and was borderline on MVP for me. So like, yeah, I can't just because he had an injury. I I don't really feel comfortable just dropping him off. Like if the injury happens early in the year and he comes back and plays, you know, 45 out of the next 55, are we having the same conversation? I don't think so. So like I'm going to bank on what he did early in the year still. Kevin Durant, uh, I think became the like first player in NBA history this year to go 29 points on 55% 55% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from the line. Uh, and on top of that, like you said, played absolutely outstanding defense. Just being real with it, I would take 47 games of what Kevin Durant did over Jimmy Butler this year. And that is like no disrespect to Jimmy, who I think, oh my goodness, what a monster year. I, just an absolutely incredible, incredible basketball player. I would rather have the 47 from Durant than the 64 from Jimmy. I think Jimmy was a stud this year, but I ended up with Kevin on my third team. Uh, I ended up giving the nod to Anthony Davis and Julius Randall on the second team. Okay. Uh, who was your second forward? Yeah, my second forward was Jimmy Butler, actually, on, on yeah. the second team. Uh, and he, especially the, with how good he's been down the stretch yeah. like over the last 20 to 30 games. Um, he's been unreal this year. Like I, it, yeah. it's funny. Cause I think we've talked about on this pod so many times where like, it just has seemed effortless and almost like, like I think for a large stretch of the season, it felt like it was Bam's team. 
Um, that has not been the case over the last like 30 or 40 games. Like he has been just incredible on what he's done on both ends of the ball. Um, and I think that speaks to a lot of how mid Miami is right now, if we're being honest, but like Jimmy's been incredible. Yeah. I came down basically to six guys for four spots on the forward spots for all NBA. Uh, it was Anthony Davis, Julius Randle, uh, Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Kevin Durant. Uh, with apologies to Pascal Siakam, Jalen Brown, I thought they were just like a very small level below those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I, I was this was impossible to parse through. It, it genuinely was. I went with Anthony Davis because I thought when Anthony Davis was on the court, I also thought he was like one of the five best players in the league this year. Like if you were making me rank purely in terms of guys on the court this season, there may be six, I would say. I would say the top three guys for MVP, Jokic, Giannis, Embiid. I would have said Steph. I would have said Kevin Durant. And I think that I probably would have said Anthony Davis was six. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Davis this year averaged 26, 13, and three, shooting 56% from the field and just completely broke worlds defensively for the Lakers. Like we can talk about what Kevin Durant did defensively this year. I thought Kevin Durant was probably one of the 25 best defenders in the league this year. Anthony Davis was. Anthony Davis would probably be in like the top three for defensive player of the year this year if he'd played enough minutes. Uh, I, I just couldn't quite get there on the defensive player of the year uh, vote just because, you know, it, it's very tricky, right? When you're trying to parse through all of that uh, in terms of minutes played. And at the end of the day, Anthony Davis played, uh, you know, I believe 1900 minutes this season and was absolutely great in those minutes. And you'll see him on an all-defense team for me to be certain. But my goodness, uh, I mean, that guy was a total stud the entire year. He carried the way in this latter portion when LeBron missed a lot of time. Uh, Really is, to me, the driving force behind why the Lakers uh, are going to be a live, real threat in the playoffs this offseason. Anthony Davis was a monster. And then I went Julius Randle because – look, I did not like Julius Randle's first like 15 games of the year. I did not think he was great. I thought it was a lot of the same of what we saw last year. And then from that moment onward, he completely shifted and turned it on. I know that he missed a few games down the stretch here with that left ankle injury. 25 points, 10 rebounds, four assists was absolutely tremendous the whole way in carrying this Knicks team to an extremely surprising season. At the end of the day, I think that he was the driving force behind the Knicks getting all the way up to that 47-win barrier uh, this year. And if you look across the NBA, I I believe that's a top-10 mark in the NBA in terms of wins. So I went with Julius Randle, second team. Uh, I think that I I wanted to reward someone that played a lot because in a lot of these – other forward spots you have a lot of like 55 60 game guys you know 50 to 60 game players that i think are deserving and that i think should be somewhere listed on these teams but i did genuinely want to reward somebody that played a shit ton of games and led their team to wins 
And I think Julius Randle is that guy this year. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, I had Julius third team. I thought he was yeah. incredibly deserving. I, I Honestly, I don't have an issue with him going second team. Like you mentioned, I mean, this has been a better season for him than it was uh, two years ago when when he yeah. was all NBA as well. Like, he's been just a blast to watch this year. I get that he still has warts in his game. I personally wouldn't describe it that way. Like, yeah, he has any, – any player is going to have, like, a hitch in what they do. But watching him do what he's done and, and be – a lot better defensively than he was last year, which is not saying a ton, but he's been at least serviceable on that end has been at, yep. at least average. And at some, especially in certain situations, he can be very good. Um, I mean, he's been to me, I understand the push to make it Brunson, but I still think Julius is the best player on that team. Um, yeah. So I would, I would agree. I, I think he was incredibly deserving of third team and, and second team for that matter. And then my other third team forward was LeBron. Um, yeah, who I just think uh, he's been really good, especially since coming back after the trade deadline was really good. Once the new year started, he was really rough, like the first 10 to 15 games from an all NBA standpoint. Like I think his defense was yeah. pretty abysmal. Um, I don't think that the offense hit quite the same, which is why, and I'm saying that just to hedge on if people are debating me not having him on the second team or higher. Like I think that he still has had a very good year. But when we're looking at it compared to his usual standards, I do think that um, it yeah. wasn't his usual year. And I personally, like, I debated having Jalen Brown over him for what he's done this year. Like, Jalen's been incredible this year. Um, it's same thing with Bam. Like, I thought about both those guys. I ended up going with LeBron, but um, I, I, I would get if people went in the other, other direction. So I went with LeBron off of my teams. Okay. And the reason for that is exactly what you said. I thought that those first 15 games were just not great from LeBron. The difference between the first 15 games for Randall versus 15 games for LeBron is that Randall then went on and played 60 more games. Yeah. LeBron played 40 more. And ultimately that is the deciding factor for me why I held LeBron off of my teams. The two forward spots that I have are Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant. And I felt fucking horrible leaving Jimmy Butler off. Uh, I like, frankly, feel like I have made an egregious error leaving Jimmy Butler off. But Mm -hmm. we've talked about Kevin Durant, what he did this year. The seventh best player, I thought, on a per minute basis this year was Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi this season, and especially if you look over the last like 30 games, uh, 35 games, I would say Kawhi has a very real case to be one of the five best players in the league. Maybe like a top three player in the league. What he's done, uh, you know, basically since January started and he's played those 35 recent games, 27.7 rebounds, four assists, 1.6 steals, still playing good defense. 53% from the field, 47% from three, 90% from the foul line. Kawhi Leonard has completely broken worlds since January. He is like completely and utterly broken my brain to where I know that that Phoenix team is unstoppable in my mind. Like I I feel that way. I, I think they are going to win the title this year. And we'll talk about that at some point later on, probably before the playoffs start. It's interesting because I'm I'm very much not there with Phoenix. So yeah, I'm I'm extremely there with Phoenix. 
Uh, Kawhi Leonard terrifies me in the first round if I'm Phoenix. Should. <laughs> that guy is a robot. That guy is just going to destroy you uh, with the way he's playing right now. Like the last 35 games of Kawhi Leonard, I am genuinely not sure I have seen him play better. Like, honestly, and Kawhi Leonard is a Hall of Famer who led the Raptors to an NBA title. I am not sure he has ever played better than he has in his last 35 games. It is insane how good he has been since the calendar turned to January. Completely mind-melting to where I had to give him that spot over Jimmy. Like, we talk about the way Jimmy closed the season. Kawhi's been better to close the season. And I kind of had to reward that. Like, Durant was better than Jimmy to start the season. Kawhi was better to close it. It was hard. It was really hard. I feel terrible leaving Jimmy Butler off, but I did. Um, but, like, that's that's why I have to end up with the way that I did here with these all-NBA teams uh, in the forward spots. They're impossible. Like, I feel terrible leaving. I feel terrible, like, to the point where Pascal Siakam and Jalen Brown were – somewhat easy like knockoffs for me like i didn't really have a problem doing it yeah pascal was hard with uh just like i i do think especially once they as much as bringing in yaka has been good for for some of their team i do think it has hurt pascal a little bit um i think part of what made him so effective early on in the year was how impactful he was uh playing the five on offense and just world beating against guys who couldn't hang with him in that regard. And I, I think he's still been very good, but it, it hasn't hit quite the same. So I'd agree with you. Okay. So, and then at center, we have, uh, we have two, we have three more spots to go through. Did you have Demonis Sabonis at center? I did, did have Demonis Sabonis at center. Okay. I also have Sabonis at center. Uh, Sabonis was unbelievable this season. Uh, he, we'll talk about him in conjunction with another guy here. Who were your guards? Uh, my guards. This is again where it's tricky. I had I had Damian Lillard. Yep. And then I had De'Aaron Fox. Um, Those were my two as well. I debated Devin Booker for my last guard spot. I know again people are gonna be upset. I I am going. I believe in the clutch play. I again I can I I'm fine with hearing out the case like how clutch plays is variant. I don't care. It's what De'Aaron Fox has done this year. The defense has been better this year. Um, I know people are going to point to what their defensive rating is. Watch De'Aaron Fox play defense compared to what it was last year. It is actually solid this year. And the offensive yeah. improvement is for real. Like, I just – I would struggle to have him off. I think he's been incredible this year. Devin Booker's been incredible as well. I think if he'd played the same amount of games as Fox, I'd probably still feel the same way about Fox. I just think that he's been a little bit better this year. Um, so that's where I lean. I probably would not feel that way. If he'd played the same games as De'Aaron, but you know, De'Aaron played 20 more games. That is an enormous amount of games. And Damian Lillard played five more games than Devin Booker this year. But I think Damian Lillard was just better than Oh Devin yeah. Booker I thought, year. I mean, straight up, I think Dame was just about the best guard in the league this year. Um I think this might have been Damian Lillard's best season of his career. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I I just not to go on a huge tangent, but I do just want to opine really quick, like I don't think people give enough credit to how bad the Blazers roster is. It everything is atrocious. I see, everything I see is is blaming Dame 
or blaming Chauncey Billups. I don't particularly think Chauncey is an awesome coach. I don't think that he's been tremendous this year. But I also think that we are just like way over exaggerating what they actually have to work with in Portland. Like it is not, it is not what I think it gets made out to be. Like, I don't think how many teams do you think Nurk would start for in the NBA that aren't the the, the Blazers right now? Exactly. Um, So like, I just think it's it. And their rotation is still not like it. They have, they have interesting guys who have potential versatility, but it's it's a lot of I think like one of the things I've tried to explain to people, especially in doing draft work, is the difference between actual versatility and theoretical versatility. Like there are a lot of guys yeah. who are theoretically versatile, but there are not Can a lot rubbish. of guys who are exactly <laughs> like there are not a lot of guys who are actually versatile, who are capable of playing multiple ways in a positive way. And I just to me, that is so much the issue of this Portland roster is that they don't have like they have theoretical versatility, but it's not consistent. It's not guys who are ready to contribute right now. Shout out to Shane Sharp with his breakout. But again, I just I, I've been a little bit confused by some of the Portland talk recently. So I wanted to say that. Yeah, no, I think this roster is like absolutely abysmal and just like crazy bad. Like that that's what it comes down to for me. Okay. Uh final Final kind of thing. Let's talk about Sacramento real quick within all NBA because I don't know how much more we're going to talk about Sacramento here. Uh, the Kings had an absolutely tremendous season this year, and I think they are worthy of having multiple third team all NBA players. They won 48 games. They are the third seed in the Western Conference, and it looks weird to not have any Memphis guys, but John Morant took his uh, time off. Let's go with via suspension. Uh, J- Jaron Jackson missed quite a bit of time early in the season to where he only played. I think it was like 1700 minutes this year. So there's just no case for him as a forward. Uh, yeah. I mean, John Morant probably would have made it, but Ja, at the end of the day, there's just, you can't really put him on an all NBA team in my opinion uh, with what happened uh, to take him out of commission. De'Aaron Fox this year, as you mentioned, the clutch factor I think was absolutely tremendous. Uh, really has improved defensively. Really makes this team go in terms of their pace of play, right? They've actually slowed down a little bit. Uh, they are only 12th in terms of pace of play. But this offense has been absolutely tremendous. The two-man game between Fox and Sabonis is so synergistic. Uh, the way that Sabonis operates from the high post, the way that he's able to find passing reads, led the team in playmaking and assists. 19 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists for Demonis Sabonis, 25 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists for De'Aaron Fox. Uh, yeah, both these guys are worthy. Uh, I, I, it was it was a relatively easy choice to get both of those guys on for me. Not like, you know, I, I very strongly considered Devin Booker. I considered Anthony Edwards for a minute. Like I, I went through the process and really considered Drew Holiday, Darius Garland, Jalen Brunson. Like I, I went through and really tried to think about, okay, all of these guys, what did they bring to the table? I thought Fox brought the most to the table. Uh, and I thought it was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Final accounting of all NBA. Donovan Mitchell, Shea Gilgis, Alexander at guard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jalen or Jason Tatum as forwards, Joel Embiid first team. Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry, uh, second team guards, Anthony Davis, 
Julius Randle, second team forwards, Nikola Jokic, second team center, Damian Lillard and De'Aaron Fox, third team guards, Kawhi Leonard and David, or uh, Kevin Durant, third team forwards, Demonis Sabonis as the third team center. Uh, Schindler, you didn't write this down, so now I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, I had uh, it. Steph, Luka, okay. Tatum, Giannis, and Joel on the first team. Donovan Mitchell, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Kevin Durant, Jimmy Butler, and Nicole Jokic on the second team. And then yep. De'Aaron Fox, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Julius Randle, and Demonis Sabonis on the third team. Okay, we have gone through the two that we're going to take the most time. So now we're going to buzz through some of these other awards. We have talked a lot about defensive player of the year already on a previous podcast. Mm-hmm. I think it was literally last week that we did that, right? I don't yeah. know. Time blurs together when you're it on the road. It was two weeks ago. It feels recent, but also very far away. Okay. So I, I still went with Brooke Lopez at number one at the end of the day. And it was like the, the minutes difference for me was pretty real for Brooke versus Jaron uh does that stand for you yeah no I agree and I also just think Brooke's been better this year so I I would have Brooke at the top he's been incredible for me um so yes I have Brooke first overall and Jaron second I do as well if you want a more in-depth breakdown of why we did that we did a recent episode two weeks ago apparently again time like melds together for me I don't know what yes, time it is at this point uh so Please go back, listen to that. All of those things stand. Uh, who was your third in defensive player of the year? Uh, I'm trying to remember who I third. I believe I had Anthony. No, I had Nicholas. Nick, Nick Claxton was third for me. Yeah, reasonable, uh, reasonable take. Uh, Hollinger almost convinced me to go with Caruso as my third, uh, third place in defensive player of the year. I kind of love it. I love that John did that. I couldn't do it. I did go with Evan Mobley. <laughs> uh, I think that Evan Mobley keys the number one defense in the NBA and his switchability, his weak side rim protection, his versatility. I think all of it is just very real. Okay. Uh, all defense teams. I did go with Alex Caruso as a first team guard. Uh, I also had Drew Holiday as a first team guard. Uh, anyone on your end? Uh, I had Derek White first team. Uh, okay. And I also had Drew Holiday on first team. Yeah, I had Derek White second team. So I'm totally there with you. White's like rim protection for a guard is just like a real thing. And it's insane. And I don't understand how he does it. His sense of timing is like the craziest thing I've seen. And he's a really good defender. He's not like quite as switchable, like down to fours and stronger threes. But he does a really good job on ones and twos. He's big. He's just not like super strong. But he's big. He's long. He uses his quickness really well. I think that... You know, he has done a really good job of morphing himself into not just a great defender league wide, but a real like all defense team defender uh, that is worthy of this accolade in real way. Um, Look, Drew Holiday is Drew Holiday on defense. He's like the best on ball defender of guards in the NBA. I don't know that uh, there's a whole lot more to say there. Uh, Second team guards. Did you have Caruso? Uh, This is where it's a you're a monster. (laughs) I'm trying to like I have three guards, but the issue too is I have so many fours I want to include that I want to bump guys down to guard. Um, yeah. I have like a list of like 16 guys, and just getting it down has been a nightmare. But I have the three guards that I'm trying to parse through: it's Dennis Smith Jr., who I do think is very worthy of this, uh, Emmanuel Quickly, and Alex Caruso. Um, and I think I will probably end up having 
Crusoe on there. I just don't want to ask either of IQ or DSJ, to be honest. Um, Crusoe has been very good this year. The Bulls have been a very good defense. I I was saying this on a podcast with some friends the other day, and I don't want to be diminutive to the Bulls, but I do think a lot of what makes their defense good is that they're just solid rather than having an elite defensive presence. I think so much of what they do is just trying to force teams into contested shots that are uh, – they try and make everything a shot making contest on defense. And I think like, again, I'm not trying to discount what they do, but it's just different for me. I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with having Caruso on all defense and I think that he's deserving of it. I just, yeah, I, it's, I have kind of toiled with that one in my head a little bit. Yeah. Look, I I think that it's really, really hard, right? Like uh, I went with Caruso because I think that on a per possession basis, that guy is, the best guard defender I can see just straight up, right? Like every single time I watch that guy, his anticipation off the ball is unbelievable. He is pesty as hell on the ball. He's switchable onto ones and twos. Like he's all over the place. He's just, he flies around in a real way. I thought he was phenomenal this season. I thought he was absolutely tremendous this season. Uh, I had to have him first team. Second team guards. I went with Derek White. And I went with Dylan Brooks. Uh, we've talked about Derek White a little bit. I went with Dylan Brooks because, like, frankly, as much as I fucking hate it and I don't like watching him, and I think he's like a real deterrent to his team off t- with Dylan Brooks because I think Dylan Brooks in his on-ball defensive ability on guards and wings I think is, like, really versatile and really valuable. Uh, and as much as I don't like watching him, I think it's undeniable that he is a monster defender, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I I can I consider him as a wing, so I didn't have him listed as a guard. Oh, okay. So here, here's the real problem with this now. So we're gonna go to first team forwards. If you look at OG Ananobi this year, OG Ananobi has played over half of his minutes as a guard this year. It is insane that he cannot be listed as a guard for all defense. Uh Mikhail Bridges has been listed as a guard before. OG Ananobi actually played guard this year. Like he played a lot of his minutes as a nominal two guard this year. He should be, it, it would make my life so much easier if I could just have him as a first team guard because undeniably he deserves to be first team all defense. The problem is that he ran into Jaron Jackson and Evan Mobley for me, who uh, unfortunately just, I had his top three guys in defensive player of the year. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Um, I, I had, I went with Jaden McDaniels on my first team over OG. Um, yeah. I still have OG on all defense, but I think J-Mac is incredibly deserving. He's been so good this year. Um, and, yeah, we already mentioned having Triple J and, and Brooke on first team. So, exactly like you mentioned, it's hard for me to put uh, – like, I, I just think that J-Mac has been better on the on the entirety of the season. Like, I know that OG has been – Incredible in what he does. I do think that his defense has fallen off a little bit as the year has gone on. He still has great spurts and moments and is an all-defense caliber guy. I just don't think that he's the world beater he was for the first 20 or 30 games of the NBA season. Um, and to be fair, too, like that's a lot of that is because it's on the Raptors. Like Their scheme broke down a lot this year, has not been very good. Yeah. So it's I'm not trying to put that on OG, but also like having a good t- team defense is part of being on all-defense. So. I have J-Mac there just because I think he has been, for me, the best one-on-one defender in basketball this year, as far as I'm concerned. I don't mind that take. 
and I felt really bad leaving him off any all defense team. Oh no. Man, he's gonna. And the only reason now. was because of these positional designations. I would yeah. love nothing more than to list OG Ananobi as a guard and slide Jaden McDaniel's onto my second team forward list. The problem is, again, I have to put Ananobi as a forward, and I think Ananobi over the course of the entire season, and in terms of just being a havoc disruptor, uh, creating turnovers largely because of their scheme, but also because he's incredibly long and athletic. He's an incredible on-ball defender. He's an incredible off-ball defender. I think that the totality of what OG Ananobi brings to the table is just slightly more than what Jaden McDaniels brings to the table is like the best one-on-one defender in basketball. I don't totally disagree with that take necessarily, um, especially of like bigger forwards and, you know, some of the best players in the league, right? The problem is I had to have Ananobi as a forward and then I have to have Anthony Davis as a forward too, because I think Anthony Davis was again on a permanent basis, one of the three best overall defenders in the league this year. And I hate it. I feel terrible about it. I don't like it. It's gross. I blame the NBA because of positional designations. Uh, we really should just be able to slide OG Ananobi at guard. I'd throw Dylan Brooks off. I'd have Caruso, Drew Holiday, um, or I'd have, I guess, Caruso and uh, Ananobi, and then I'd have Drew Holiday and Derek White. I would then have Jaron and Mobley. I would have uh, Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Davis, and I'd be ecstatic. That'd be great. That, that'd that make me happy. I, I really thought about like trying to find a way to get, you know, Davis as my center, maybe. Uh, I thought that that was like something I could possibly do do but the problem is that like i just don't i, I don't know like do, do you think i can do that do you think i can slide bam at a bio off of my second team to get anthony davis my second team center and then but i still feel like that's not great because then you're leaving bam at a bio off and bam is the most switchable defender in the nba so all of this sucks let's be clear i have like 12 guys for 10 spots and i hate it yeah, no, I agree. I just wish that there was a third team all NBA, to be honest. I think that would alleviate some problems too. Um, I So I had OG on second team. Um, I had Evan Mobley, obviously, and I had Nick Claxton. So it's just like, I, where yep. else am I supposed to put people? Um, like I, I wanted Herb Jones to be on this very bad. I contemplated moving him to guard and just kicking off one of the guards because technically you can. Um, but it's... Yeah, it's it's not fun. It's gross. It's gross. Like, it. <laughs> like I, I feel terrible leaving off Claxton. I feel terrible leaving off Jaden McDaniels. Like there are a lot of really great defenders league wide that are worthy of recognition and the whole thing sucks. The yeah. whole thing just sucks. Yeah, and I, um, I think to be fair too, like I think Bam is I would not bat an eye at him making all defense. I don't think like this has been his worst defensive season of the last three years. And I don't mean that in like, that sounds derogatory. Yeah, I was going to say I mean, like, like worst defensive. Like I thought Bam like should have been top two for defensive player of the year last year. So yeah, no, exactly. Wanted, but I'm but, saying like, yeah. I do think it is at least debatable this year. Um, like yeah. just taking on more of an offensive load. That makes sense. That's why we don't have Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis on here right now, because well, those guys are capable of playing the best defense on the, the sport of basketball. Well, I don't have Joel and AD, I should say. Well, those guys are capable of playing the best defense at their position in the sport of basketball. When you have 30% usage, it's really hard to keep that up. So, yeah. 
And that's ultimately why I ended up with AD at four, like second team forward, because I think he like actually has kept it up like in a real way in terms of like rim protection, in terms of switchability on the perimeter when he gets locked on an island. They don't do it a ton in the way that he used to earlier in his career. But uh, my good, just all, he's all over the place all the time on defense ad i think he's just been a total monster on that end this year um and then you throw in the 25 and 12 and all of it it's just yeah that guy's a monster uh i th- he's been unbelievable this season but let's move on we're an hour and eight minutes in okay rookie of the year this ended up being a little bit easier than i wanted it to be unfortunately you want to go yeah i mean it's pal adventure i don't have to think about it um it's Carroll. yeah yeah it's 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 easy for me. Yeah, look, Paulo averaged twenty seven and four. Uh, the efficiency was not great. I think there's a real case that Jalen McDaniels like helped his team win basketball games more. I think there's a case that Walker Kessler helped his team win basketball games more. Paulo Bancaro was the most impressive rookie I saw this year. Just you watch him with your eyes. Period. That's, that's kind of <laughs> what it comes down to. Uh, watch that dude play basketball. He is this incredible mix of power, of grace, of footwork of passing, of processing. Once the shooting comes along, he's going to be an all-NBA player, I think. Uh, if the shooting doesn't come along, he'll just be like a all-star. But, you know, if the shooting comes along, this is an all-NBA player, I think. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, I'm probably higher on you than – that higher than you on what his impact on winning was. Like, I still think he was – I mean, to me, he was above what Walker Kessler and, and Jalen did this year. Like, Jalen was obviously awesome, especially um, – over the back half of the year. And even with Paolo's efficiency, like I get the efficiency concerns, but also he's just doing a drastically different role. He's doing a lot more. And even with his efficiency falling off a little bit, he's been creating so much for Orlando. An Orlando team that's been pretty damn good over the last two or three months. So I just like, I can't get there with some of the pushes that there have been to, to move him to, uh, to second on the ballot. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, look, I think that me and JJ Reddick were like the two people that called this out that like the rookie of the year race was not over when, you know, we had four weeks left in the season or three weeks left in the season. Jalen didn't get there. He did not get there at the end. It, it, there is no case otherwise for anyone other than Paulo. Point blank, period. Paulo ended up being the best rookie. Jalen was just fine uh, through the last portion of the season. He was a really great, solid starter for a team that ended up making the play in, but he was not quite the like 27 and four guy that he was for like the 15 games preceding that. Right. So because of that, I ended up Jalen Williams at two Walker Kessler at three. Yeah. I can't complain about that. You who where did you uh oh yeah that's that's the exact same I did sorry oh okay you went Jalen Williams and Walker Kessler at three okay uh all rookie I think first team all rookie it was like relatively easy for me I went with those three guys plus Jaden Ivy and Keegan Murray and I left Ben Mather into the second team uh I'm trying to do it in my head right now because I didn't even I did not remember that this is an award uh that is that is that needs to be done uh but yeah so i would have paolo jalen uh walker jaden ivy keegan murray on the first team 
um, agree with moving Benedict to the second team. He, I just don't think it's been spoken enough about how bad his defense is. Um, yeah, to be honest, like it's it's very bad. So I think when you're looking at you know the efficiency slip and just overall slip in in what he was doing, he's still very good, but just um, like it wasn't the same. So yeah, I agree in him being on second team. Second team, I went with AJ Griffin, Tari Eason, Jeremy Sohan, along with Ben Matherin, and I ended up with Jalen Duran uh, on that team as well. I don't know if you're going to be able to come up with second team all rookie off the top of your head, are you? Uh, I'm trying, trying right now. Uh, I don't know if I, I, I'm contemplating if I would have, I want to say that I would have Andrew Nemhard on that team, just based on pure rookie production. I think he'd be on there for me. Um, I would have Jalen Duran. Uh, Jeremy Sohan would be on there as well. And then I have one more. Uh, Duran, Sohan, Nemhard. Oh, so I have two more. Uh, then yeah, I would have Mathurin. Tari as well. Well, you've Matherin as well. Oh so yeah, then Matherin okay. and Tari. Then yeah, I would finish off with Tari. Yeah, no, I think that I think that that's a totally reasonable team uh, to build at the end of the day. I do want to say though, oh. shout out Oshai Agbaji for the last like month or two of the season for him. Like once he finally started getting run, it's like, hey, believe it or not, pretty solid NBA player. Okay, Mark, are you ready to wade into the sixth man of the year waters? Sure. Which weirdly has become the most contentious race, it feels like, outside of MVP. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, who did you have third? Uh, I had Bobby Porter's third just because okay. I think – explain. For a team that was starved for offense a lot of the year and shot creation in general, I thought he was really important in uh, bringing that to this team. Like he brings versatility, even if it's, I think like even with him being more of a one positional player, I do think that there is real versatility to what he brings and just being somebody who can plug and play off the bench, run offense through and um, and be Bobby Portis. So I have him there. Um, I'm here. I'm, I'm cool listening to, to other options, but that's who I have a third. I went with Tyus Jones at third and it kind of ties in a little bit to my vote at number one. Ah, I see what you're doing here. So I think that part of being a sixth man is not just what you do off the bench. This argument that people are bringing in that like, Oh, sixth man, the only numbers that count are the numbers when he's coming off the bench. No, to me, part of being a sixth man is being able to step into the starting lineup when you're asked to and perform at that level or a higher level when called upon the whole idea of this award is that you're coming in behind the preordained starters and making an impact. There's almost no greater impact you can make. Yeah. Do, do you understand the argument regarding sixth man of the year where bench, you only count bench numbers? It's crazy to me. Yeah. I think it's been incredibly dumb. Uh, if we're being honest, like I love Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I think he's, he's second overall for me. Malcolm's been incredible the entire way. But exactly like you mentioned, like I think the idea that, because 
IQ has started basketball games that he's automatically like not qualifiable. Like he's played 21 games as a starter. And I think it's important to know why it's not, well, we moved him into the starting lineup. It's no, we had guys out. So he moved in the starting lineup and we won games because we moved him in the starting lineup. Like, is that exactly what you're saying? Is that not part of being a good six man? Like being able to fill in and being, especially in the way that people want to talk about it. Like, okay, he's not just the guy scoring buckets off the bench. He's a real impact player who I had on my all defensive team, who I think is warranting of all defensive team. He's a really good passer who can kick their offense off, who can score, has grown as a self creator. Like, what are we doing if we're saying like, oh, because you filled in for guys that were injured, you, you don't count. And because you had your best games when you filled in for guys when they were when when they were injured, that doesn't count. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like the Knicks won games because Emmanuel quickly came off the bench for them and filled in in the starting lineup when guys were hurt. Like that does that not meet the exact merits of what the award is about? I think it's what the award is. Like I think it is what the award is about. Like not just coming off the bench and like playing minutes off the bench. Like I think it's the totality of the award. So to get back to Tyus Jones, like Tyus Jones does a great job every single time that he comes off the bench for John Morant. And this year it was obviously incredibly important for them to have Tyus Jones, for them to be able to bring him in when John Morant uh, decided to go to a strip club with a firearm. Uh, it's just, to me, Tyus's ability to run that offense, his ability to be an incredible play uh, playmaker, all of it is just really high level. Uh, he keeps the offense in flow. He had a five to one assist to turnover ratio in the NBA this season. The guy never makes mistakes. He consistently is efficient. He shot thirty seven percent from three this season, eighty percent from the line. Tyus Jones is my pick at third. I went with Emmanuel quickly at one. Who did you go at number one? I had a manual quickly at number one. Okay. So let's do the numbers breakdown on this. So if you look at the per game numbers, Malcolm Brogdon, 15 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 4.6 assists. Manual quickly, 12.7 points, 3.2 rebounds, 3.1 assists. That is, you know, advantage Malcolm Brogdon in theory. Uh, if you look at a per 100 possession metric, Emmanuel quickly 26 points per game, Malcolm Brogdon 25 points per game. Basically the same in terms of rebounding, Malcolm a little bit higher in terms of assists. In terms of efficiency, Malcolm just like very slightly higher across the board, like slightly higher assist rate, slightly higher true shooting percentage. Nothing crazy. Quickly turns the ball over less. They're close in terms of advanced numbers. The defense is the differentiator to me. Like, quickly has a real case as an all-defense guy. Malcolm Brogdon's fine on defense. Like, he's switchable. He's a little bit slow now. He's useful on defense. But, you know, big, enormous, strong. You can switch him on to bigger guys. Emmanuel quickly, like, has completely changed games for the Knicks defensively this season. And ultimately, that's kind of what it comes down to for me. Like, when I watch Emmanuel quickly play, it feels like his presence completely alters the shape of games for the New York Knicks. When he gets on the court, it is an entirely different game than what the Knicks were playing previously. With Brogdon, it feels like a lot of the same. It feels like the Celtics run their scheme. 
They do what they do. And it works because the Celtics are an incredible basketball team led by Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, etc. But it feels like to me, Malcolm Brogdon is another cog in that machine that just roll like whirs along, you know, on that wheel. Malcolm Emmanuel quickly to me, like is not like he he's the one like driving play a lot of the time for the New York Knicks, which is why I went Emmanuel quickly as sixth man of the year. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't have, I don't really have anything to add to that. I'm, I'm with you in the same boat. Like I, I don't, not that I think you're devaluing Brogdon. I still think Brogdon has been incredibly important and, you know, having yeah. the ability to be as steady as he's been, has been huge for Boston um, and keeping their stuff together. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I think this is IQ's award at this stage. Yeah. Agree. Okay. Last award coach of the year. It's Mike Brown. Mike Brown. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Mike Brown. <laughs> I will I say, who did you have at number two? Uh, I think I did not again. Cause I did not plan on coach of the year. I always forget that's an award. Um, I probably Mike Budenholzer if I had to right now. I think it's a good pick, to be honest. I went with Mark Dagnalt. Uh, I think Dagnalt is like a drastically underrated coach league-wide. Yeah, I would agree with To that. get this Thunder team to 40 wins this year with as much youth as they have while continuing to run a scheme and continuing to like have a real culture uh, with all of these young guys. We've seen how poorly this can go. Like Houston right now is struggling with all of this, right? Uh, despite what Rafael Stone is saying uh, in press conferences and yelling at people about uh, shout out Rafael Stone. That was, that was a fun presser yesterday, to be honest. I enjoyed it. Uh, but look, Houston doesn't know how to win yet, despite having all of these young guys. I don't know if the culture is bad. I don't know if it's good. Whatever people want to say, I'd believe the people that are down there and around it more, who knows, but they don't know how to win. Like that's a very clear thing at this point. Oklahoma City is not that much older than they are. And yeah, they have Shea Gilgis Alexander, but like they finished ahead of the team that has Luca, right? I think that what Mark Dagnalt has done to build an exceptionally high level culture, to build a scheme to where they can input guys, uh, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl goes down, pop in Jalen Williams, uh, and you don't really lose anything. Like they're not, they're not losing anything putting in these backups when it like those guys come in. And I think that's a credit to what Mark Dagnalt has done this year. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that he's a good shot for this one. Yeah. I went Tom Thibodeau third. Uh, I think that Tibbs having to manage all of these different uh, disparate parts, new parts, um, figuring out a way to make the spacing work with Julius Randle and, um, you know, Mitchell Robinson figuring out, uh, you know, the integration of Jalen Brunson, figuring out uh, Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel Quickly's minutes in order to get the most out of them. I think he kind of had a lot on his plate this year, and I think he did an incredibly impressive job. I would have had Mark uh, Mike Budenholzer fourth for what it's worth. Yeah, no, I have I have no qualms with that. Yeah. Okay, Mark, that's uh, that's all we got. Do you uh, do you have any takes you need to get off your chest? Uh, do I have any takes I need to get off my chest? Uh, 
I'm trying to think if I saw anything recently. Have you seen anything recently? I'm assuming not because you've been all over yeah, the place. Yeah. I mean, I saw John Wick 4, but... Um, How was it? Because I want to see it. Ooh, I've not had time. Ooh, it is uh, It is beautiful. It is a beautiful ride. Uh, have you watched Succession? I have watched like half the first season of Succession. That's it. Um, I need, I need to, to find people that watch Succession. I'm going to try and get into it uh, now that I have time. I just watched, you know what I just watched? On like probably two days. There's this new show uh, by Katherine Hahn. Uh, I think it's produced by Reese Witherspoon. I can't remember who else, but yep. um, it's called Tiny Beautiful Things. It's on Hulu. It's like a very intense drama comedy. Uh, more drama than comedy. Uh, it's really good, but it like... It's eight episodes. As far as I've read, they're not going to add any more episodes to the season. And it just like very abruptly stops, like extremely abruptly. It huh. feels like somewhere like they're going to drop more episodes in after a week, but I don't think so. So that's frustrating because I hate when that happens. But uh, Catherine Hahn's awesome in it, like legitimately very, very good. One of her best performances. Um, underrated as like a as a serious actor um actress i should say so i i enjoyed that if you get She's a chance great. To check it out. i will check that out uh what else do i have uh yeah i haven't watched a ton recently i've been reading a ton on this trip finished the sumner redstone book red women talking i'm in the middle of we own the city um yeah i mean i have a couple other things that i have in my backpack right now to read still uh, it's hard to see movies when you're out on the road. Like it's yeah. really hard to find time to do it. Plus it's an activity that Laura and I tend to do together. Uh, so, you know, trying to save as much as I can. No, for uh, sure. Yeah. For that. Um, yeah. And to answer the question. So Adam Feeney asks in the comments, you know, do I have official ballots this year? No, I don't. If the NBA wants to hit me, look, they give out international ballots to like international journalists every year. I live in Australia. Hit me, NBA. Please, <laughs> I'll take I'll take a pity international ballot. I'm here for it. Give it all, send it on over. That'd be great. I'd be happy to vote for these things. I'm not allowed to gamble on them anymore. So I'm more than happy to do it. It'd be super fun. Uh please, by all means, uh send that my way. But I am not an official voter this year, unfortunately. Uh I would like to do it at some point, I think. I would very much like to do it at some point. I think it would be very fun. Uh, Mark, uh, look, we're going to get into pre-draft declarations later this week. Honestly, I might have Mark on again to talk pre-draft declarations at some point later this week, just because there's a crazy amount of stuff happening. The Kyle Filipowski thing, I've seen a few people in the YouTube comments asking. For what it's worth, that's like kind of been rumored for a few weeks now that he was probably going to go back. Uh, it's probably the right move, honestly. It's it's an interesting move. I think he probably would have gone somewhere. It's hard. This year, once you get past 20, is very difficult. I think that his range was like 15 to 35. Like, it was really wide. Teams love him or they don't really like him. And when you start to, like, limit the number of teams that are going to be in play for you that could take you on draft night, it gets to be really tricky. I think he's a really interesting prospect. If he comes out and shoots next year, I think he probably goes in the like top 15. Uh, I, I really quite like uh, Filipowski because I think that the defense is a little bit underrated in terms of his movement ability. W where would you have had Schindler? Where would you have had Filipowski on your board? 
Uh, I'm trying to remember what. Let me pull up my last mock really quickly because I I know I had him as a first rounder. Um, I yeah. believe I had him top 25. Um, yeah, it's right around the range. I yeah, think. it was between 20 to 25 for me. I think it just yep. depends on the team. But exactly what you're saying, like if the wrong team is where is available for him, then I can totally see him dropping into the early second. So it's like I get yep. going back. And I don't know if you saw this as well, but Mackenzie Makabo, uh, Magapo, uh, asked for his release. So he I did. Yeah. I saw Mackenzie at Hoop Summit last week. Uh, Mackenzie Mbako is a really interesting six foot eight wing, uh, real length, physicality, like shot the ball really well throughout the course of the week. Like that, that part of his game is really developed to where I feel pretty good about him being like a pretty solid shooter uh, at the next level. Yeah, I, I mean, I would take the trade of Filipowski for Mbako for Duke every day of the week, right? Yeah. Like, I think that you take Filipowski as a second-year guy over McKenzie as a first-year guy. But I will say, like, I really liked what I saw from McKenzie this week. And wherever he ends up, you know, who knows? Like, I, I have no idea what he's considering. This is not me reporting that he's considering pro routes. But, like, I think he could easily play in the G League Ignite next year. I think he could easily play, you know, uh, for any other school in the country if he wants to. Hunter, like I think across the board, there are just a number of options for him that really would make sense. Uh, so I am, you know, I, I would definitely, I would say that he was one of the guy, one of the few guys at Hoop Summit this past week that really stood out to me, and I went, "Oh, that's actually like." you know, probably a one and done lottery pick or, mm-hmm. you know, someone that looks the part has the skill, has the size. It all like lines up, you know, there, there weren't many of them this time at hoop summit. I've got to tell you, but uh, I would say McKenzie was one of them for sure. Are you a fan of him, Mark? I have not watched him yet. I have hoop summit uh, recorded. I got to watch women's side hoop summit. Um, did not get to watch uh, Men's Side Hoop Summit yet. And I once we are done with the first round of the playoffs is when I'm going to start watching 2024 guys um, and catching up on that stuff because I know I'm going to have to start going out and doing some grassroots things. Um, probably get out to a couple of uh, AU sessions in the next month or so. So, um, yeah, loading into next year already, man. I'm excited, though. I love – I think my favorite thing about every year is – getting a feel for the next class and, and getting a feel for all these new guys who I like, I mean, like I have priors on quite a few of them, but um, when you're going from, you know, like having like little to no knowledge and some of these guys like, all right, let me yeah. open up the Geico nationals and watch 11 prospects at the same time. Yeah. And then have to rewatch a million times. Like it's fun. I like doing it. Yeah. The, the guy for that at hoop summit for me was Garway Dwall. Uh, yeah. I kept seeing his name come up. <sighs> Oh man. I heard he looked what awesome. he did what he did in the scrimmage to the Portland Generals team for people who don't know Hoop Summit. The uh director, one of the directors of Hoop Summit, Reggie Walker, puts together a scrimmage every year. Uh and the world team played a team of like really high level college players or really high level recruits. So this year it was Dylan Jones from Weber State, a guy that's like a top 100 prospect in this upcoming NBA draft if he decides to go. Uh, it's uh, who, who else was there? I'm trying to think. Carter Bryant was there. Who else? Uh, Nathan Biddle, the Oregon. Nathan guy. Biddle was there. Cam Parker was there. Corin Johnson was there uh, from Washington. So it, it was like 
a lot of college players that have played uh, at a reasonably high level. So it's not just like some bullshit scrimmage. Uh, it, it's a really, really fun event. And my goodness, what Garway Dwall did to those guys was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. He was the guy that in, in the gym where like the GMs just went, oh, look at that. Like, look at him. That, that's what that's supposed to look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay. Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Uh, yeah. Tell the people everything you need to know. You can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. That's where I'm most active. That's where all my work's at. Uh, yesterday was the WNBA draft, and I had it was uh, a very exciting time of me trying to get to every single media availability in the existence of humanity at the same time, which was fun, um, but also a nightmare. So, but no, I got some good stuff. It was cool because speaking on Hoop Summit, this was the first Hoop Summit on the women's side, uh, and we had some really exciting stuff. Like, uh, what was cool to see, obviously, the game didn't end up, I think it ended up being about 20 points in, in Team USA's favor, but you saw a ton of really exciting talent on the international side that is really fun to track going forward. Cause when you're looking at like the kinds of archetypes and stuff, it's a lot of like, Oh wow. Like this kind of player doesn't really exist a ton. Like you don't really see a lot of that. Um, so it just, it's the kind of thing that sparks a lot of interest for what the next year or so is going to be. And Juju Watkins didn't even play. She had an ankle injury that she got during one of the scrimmages. So um, yeah, a lot of fun stuff coming on my end. If you are looking for a, uh, a very in-depth breakdown on Aaliyah Boston hit me up because I just did a 11-page breakdown over on my Patreon, everything about her game, why she's going to be a transcendent force in the WNBA and why it matters. So, yeah. I love it. On, man. Go read Mark's. That's on your Patreon, right? Yeah. Go read Mark's Patreon. It is terrific. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the women's tournament. Not a ton, have we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, not too much. Yeah. Um, the women's tournament was terrific this year. Uh, Mark does better women's content than uh, certainly most of the people I know, if not any of the people I know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Mark is terrific at this. Uh, I would absolutely uh, implore everyone, go subscribe to his Patreon. Uh, go subscribe to The Athletic. CJ Moore and I continue to rank transfers. It There's a lot of them. <laughs> takes so much of my time. I don't think you guys understand. <laughs> it takes so much of my time to run through tape for all of these transfers. Uh, please go read. And, and you know what? Like you guys do. I can, I see the metrics. You guys love them. It's why we do it every year. Uh, please go read that. That is the place where you'll be able to get an awesome amount of content uh, regarding transfers. I really do not think there is anything like that on the internet. Uh, what CJ and I do. I think we have created the best product for transfers on the internet, point blank. So go there. Uh, go to, what else do I have? A bunch of newsers regarding, uh, you know, draft guys. I wrote a thing real quick on Bronny James and what I saw at Hoop Summit. Uh, maybe we'll talk about Bronny next time once you actually watch Hoop Summit. Yeah. Uh, I assume you've watched the McDonald's stuff as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we'll be able to talk Bronny maybe next time. Bronny is – look, Bronny's a really interesting player uh, within the ecosystem of basketball for a number of reasons, and we'll talk about that at some point. I think that is where I will leave you. Mark, thanks for coming on. Until next thanks time, we'll talk soon. Bye.